Welcome back to In the Queue, film conversations with Andrew and Phil. I am your co-host, Andrew, and all I have to say is, Wildcat. (laughs) (laughs) Good choice. Uh, This is Phil, your other co-host, and you want to talk some jive? Me and Andrew will talk some jive like you ain't never heard. (laughs) Uh, if If you're not in on the joke those are two quotes directly from the movie that we're talking about today which is the royal tenenbaums the wes anderson film from 2001 Mm -hmm. uh his third film uh it was recommended to us by kathleen who's a guest on the show today kathleen say hi to everybody hi everybody hey i can hear them saying hi back to you right now me too wonderful so uh, before we get into talking about this film and why you suggested it for us, Kathleen, I would like to tell everybody how to find us on the web. You can go to www.in-the-q, that's the letter q.com, and there you can find all of our episodes posted, plus additional supplemental materials and uh, a comment section where you can leave us suggestions of films that you would like us to talk about. Then you can come on the show and talk to us about those films, talk with us about those films. Mm-hmm. Uh, additionally, you can do the same thing on our Facebook page where you can go to Facebook and search for in the queue, Q U E U E film conversations with Andrew and Phil. And there you can like our page. It'll start showing up in your feed and every single episode will be popping up in there along with some additional supplemental materials that we post humorous, sometimes serious, sometimes academic, sometimes oh, good point. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's a it's a, a a font of information, a, a veritable font. Uh, it's like an old timey word for f- fountain. I, it's a uh, French, isn't it? I'm... Yes. Is that how you pronounce font? it? All right. Yes. Like yeah. oh, like maybe it would be font. Font. Well, maybe, maybe. I'm gonna anglicize the hell out of it. So <laughs> okay, get on this page or get out of town. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> and uh, lastly, you can find us on iTunes uh, by going to iTunes and uh, subscribing to our podcast, and all of our episodes will be delivered directly to you. Actually, I shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't say that that was lastly because I always forget about our Twitter feed. Yeah, uh, we have a Twitter handle which is at itq podcast. Those are the letters itq and then podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there we will uh, tweet all of those uh, links that we had mentioned before. And uh, we hope you'll engage us in conversation on Twitter. Yeah. Because uh, that's what Twitter is all about, right, guys? Isn't that what the kids are doing these days? Oh, it's mm-hmm. social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, God, guys. Oh. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the film that we're talking about today is The Royal Tenenbaums, a... Comedy by Wes Anderson from 2001. Maybe you might say a dramedy, I guess. Uh, there's some fairly dramatic stuff in here. Oh, yeah. But uh, it has a, a, a all-star cast mm-hmm. uh, filled with uh, fantastic actors. And uh, before we get into the conversation about that, uh, Kathleen, tell us a little bit about why you recommended this particular film for us to talk about. Um, well, I just really like it. That's a good and, reason. Um, yeah. I think I keep seeing um, Wes Anderson films, and I think I keep wanting them to be more like this. Mm. 
<laughs> and they keep not being not that I dislike his other films, but um, I think this one is so good. And so I think this sort of sets the tone for so much of his work and in the best way possible. Yeah, we're going to have a lot to agree on in this podcast. <laughs> like, mostly, yeah. <laughs> um, because uh, we actually did a podcast entirely on Wes Anderson where we sort of established uh, Phil's and my sort of differences of opinion on on the man and where we come together and where we enjoy him and have common ground as well. Uh the film itself concerns uh, a man by the name of Royal Tenenbaum, played by Gene Hackman, who uh, has sort of uh, been estranged from the rest of his family, and uh, for good reason. He was kind of a crappy husband and a crappy father. Uh, and he has three children who were prodigies, each in their own sort of unique and magnificent ways. Uh, but they have grown up to be very troubled adults, each with their own issues. Uh, the children are played by Luke Wilson, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Ben Stiller. And uh, Angelica Houston plays his wife. Danny Glover plays a uh, a, a man who is courting He's their, Royal's wife. He's their family accountant. He's the family accountant, and he is he, he starts to court... Uh, Ethelene Tenenbaum, and this is sort of what is the inciting incident that kind of forces Royal back into their lives because he he wants to keep this man away from his wife, uh, though he won't really quite say as much. <laughs> he kind of dances around it a lot, and uh, and so he uh, they all move back into the family house together, and hijinks ensue. All kinds of crazy things happen. Um, that's a good setup. And I won't go. Yeah, I won't go into the details of each subplot because there's a lot of there's a lot going on in this film. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I just uh, wanted to straight out of the gate address what Kathleen said about wanting oof. wanting uh, <laughs> Wes Anderson movies to be more like the Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> yeah. And I and I'm not attacking you. I actually agree with you. And I think what we have to look at if we examine the early films of Wes Anderson's career versus his later output in his early films, he was writing with Owen Wilson. Yes. And I've never, yeah. I never pictured Owen Wilson to be a very deep, uh, humanist soul, but maybe he had a lot to contribute to bottle rocket and Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums. Um, I still enjoy Wes Anderson movies for the most part since Royal Tenenbaums, some more than others, but no few movies, let alone few Wes Anderson movies, have the soul that the Royal Tenenbaums has. It is a supremely humanist movie, and it arrives at the humanism in kind of an unusual way by being very kind of stylized, and and the reality is is heightened. It's 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 kind of like kind of fake in a way, but and yet it's yeah. it's still yeah. really moving. And the whole movie takes place in this kind of uh, delicately tweaked vision of New York City where there's never any landmarks or any indication that this takes place in the city. Um, but you just kind of get the feeling of New York from, from the buildings mm -hmm. and from the locale mm -hmm. and everything. There's even a, a funny anecdote that I wanted to share where at one point uh, 
Wes Anderson took Gene Hackman and um, um, the actor who played Pagoda down to the southern part of Manhattan where you could actually see the Statue of Liberty. And he framed the shot looking out onto the water, but had Pagoda right in the middle blocking the Statue of Liberty so that you couldn't <laughs> even see it. And, and, Gene, right. and Gene Hackman didn't know what kind of movie they were making. So he says, what are you doing? You bring, all, you bring us out here to get a the Statue of Liberty is right there. You're not even going to show the Statue of Liberty. But this was, you know, Wes Anderson's storybook version of New York City. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that that, uh, that point that you have both made now about the kind of difference between the Royal Tenenbaums and the rest of Wes Anderson since, um, I do think that the heart is there in Rushmore and to a lesser extent in Bottle Rocket. Uh, but I, I think that I think that you you may you may have hit the nail on the head, Phil, with Owen Wilson being very humanist because that's what I've found lacking in the the Wes Anderson films, the Life Aquatic on are is is just a a lack of any really interesting characters that I care about or that I have any reason to care about. Yeah, I I, I hear you. I mean, I don't completely agree. I know. I, think, I know you don't. I think there are other movies, but. But you know we're not here to talk about those other movies. Um, it's true. Um, but I think that this movie, on its own, it's it's also kind of like for me the definitive movie about family for our generation. Um, and I have to kind of admit the caveat that if that family is white, privileged, and very ambitious, um, it's not. Gonna, <laughs> it's not maybe not a universal story, but I can definitely relate to sort of this. The anger, I guess, the the dysfunction that goes on, uh, and the unresolved conflict that goes on between Royal and his his ex wife or wife and his kids, um, and you can sort of see the 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 favoritism and sort of the unequal treatment. You know, like Richie is kind of like the favorite son. Uh, he's he's kind of he really loves his dad. You, you see that even from childhood that Richie's always really attached to his dad and really cares about him. And then you got Chaz who is extremely angry about all the terrible things that his dad did to him over the years. Um, and it's just kind of, it's a really well fleshed out portrait of a family. Um, I think before you said storybook Phil, which I think um, something I hadn't seen it in a while and uh, going back and watching it, um, I realized how, essential the framework of this like novel framework that they used is I think and it, it contributes to that humanity because it still kind of functions in that Wes Anderson world of where everything I think a lot of his stuff is very look don't touch um, mm -hmm. his character everything it's all about visual it really isn't about character yeah. or humanity but I think um, I I'm usually very annoyed by voiceovers and just yeah. think and narration. But I was watching it and I was like, why do I like the narration in this film and why does it work? And I think it's because it forces you to learn about the characters without the characters ever having to feel anything. Like you, the characters are a lot more flushed out and it's because we find out all these details about them and the things that they're feeling and thinking and their history without ever having to hear it from them because I don't think they would ever bring it up. Yeah. And I, I've seen this movie many times, so when I watched it again this time, I was looking at different things. I was looking at a lot of formal things, 
And in the beginning, when they when Alec Baldwin is doing the narration and setting up the the characters, so when this film establishes the characters in the beginning with Alec Baldwin's narration, uh, Wes Anderson kind of avoids this pitfall that happens a lot of times where you've got a narrator explaining everything about a person. And so you're hearing it while you're seeing it and it gets to be a little bit sort of, um, rote and unnecessary. But what he, what they do in this film is, uh, Alec Baldwin will describe a couple of things about the character and we'll see that while it's happening on screen. But then the visuals will turn into a third thing that we learn about them but there's no narration for that part. Uh, we just absorb it visually. And it's it's so skillfully put together. I mean, with the editing and the, the narration, the, the direction, it's all very meticulous. And you really get the impression that this, this is Wes Anderson's opus. Like, at the time, this is really what he had to say as a filmmaker, and he put his all into it, I mean, even down to the, the soundtrack, which is unparalleled. Yeah, it it is really great. I mean, he tends to have excellent soundtracks in general. I mean, I, Rushmore has a spectacular soundtrack. Uh, even The Life Aquatic, which I'm not a big fan of the film itself, has a really great soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think I think that more so than being what he had to say at the time, I think that this is his masterpiece. I think this is his best film. Oh, okay. Even though, even though I still, I'm I'm a little partial to Rushmore just because of how much I like it. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a great, great film. Um, but the the more that I watch this film, the more that I I find it to be uh, incredibly uh, humanist. I guess is, is is the right term you used it earlier, mm-hmm. Phil. Um, like it's just such a beautiful. It has so much um, compassion for its characters, for everybody yeah. in the film, really. And, uh, and that I think is, you know, as I've said, is completely missing from his later films, but, uh, but I, I think that the, the sort of emotional ride that you take in this film is a lot more, uh, interesting than in some of his films, maybe even than in Rushmore, um, because you're, you're dealing with a, such a large number of, of characters and they all seem, you, you, you care about them all. You're interested in, in everybody's sort of resolution you know Mm -hmm. i think it's also clear that they matter to each other a lot and in very complicated ways which i think is really interesting to watch yeah yeah and i think you're you also make a good point andrew about like how it's the characters for me it's the characters that really push this into his one or two best films um because you really do love them you 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 absolutely love richie and Margot and I don't know about you guys, but I want, I wanted them to get together. I think that they really did care about each other. <laughs> and as sure society says it's wrong, um, <laughs> who who might argue with society? But uh, well, you just you just get the impression that, uh, that they unlike can't unlike is so heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, it is definitely. And and I kind of lean towards Rushmore actually as being Wes Anderson's best movie. But even in Rushmore. Uh, you don't you don't love Max Fisher the way that you love these characters. You you're, yeah. you're always kind of laughing at Max with his big with his braces, uh, with his kind of you know d- dorky demeanor. I I I would say that there's more compassion for Max than that in that film. I mean, there are certainly scenes in there. I mean, my favorite uh, scene in the entirety of Rushmore is the scene where he uh, 
uh, takes um, Bill Murray's character to go meet his father mm-hmm. in in his barber shop. It's like a wonderful, tender, beautiful moment. It's incredibly empathetic. Uh, it's really great. And it's moments like those that really make Rushmore such a great film for me. But this movie, it, it seems like there are moments like that for every single character in the film. And it's not just for one character, you know? Right, yeah. And maybe we could call those moments Owen Wilson moments. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, because they sure don't show up in his other films. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think I think we all seem to sort of be in, 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 in agreement that this is a great film, uh, without a doubt. Uh, I, it, it is kind of... It, it it also masters like tone very well, like switching yeah. from very serious subjects like suicide, bloody suicide, um, and um, overdosing on hallucinogens, presumably. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's also got you know there was a time actually I think maybe when we did our other show about Wes Anderson I, I made a comment about how I thought that the soundtrack was a little, was kind of a bit much. Like there uh-huh. was, yeah, yeah. there were, there's a lot of non-diegetic music that starts playing and it'll play for like 10 seconds and then it'll cut yeah. out. And it's like, they just wanted to have that flavor of that feel just for a little bit. Yeah. And then, and then immediately in the next scene, there's a totally different song playing. But then when I watched it again this time, it didn't bother me. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, it, it, it didn't bother me either. And in fact, there's one moment in the film where the non-diegetic music becomes the diegetic music where uh, Luke Wilson is crawling in the window of his house and then he goes to the place where he's been camping out. He's mm-hmm. set up a tent in the, in the hallway basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, his sister is, is camping in there and it, the music stops when she stops the record player that yeah, she's got. It's a good catch. Like it's a wonderful moment where that non-diegetic sort of just becomes part of that world. Yeah, I think it um, it adds to that like sort of vague time and place too, because it's the music sort of from a bunch of different eras, and you never mm-hmm. can quite pin. It never really feels like. I guess it's supposed to be modern day, but it it sort of feels like the seventies at the same time, like the entire movie. Like you're yeah, never yeah. quite sure what year it is. Not only it's like very vaguely New York, it's also very vaguely twenty first century. I, 20th I century. Gauge- I gauge the time period based on Richie Tenenbaum's hairdo. Uh, <laughs> to me, that's like when he was when he was at the, the the peak of his tennis playing. I'm thinking that's probably the early '80s, late yeah. '70s. When he had that sort of fro going on. But but of... I would argue that it doesn't matter in this case. No, like, it doesn't. Really, it's all yeah. it's all Wes Anderson world. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. just kind of a it's like the to- the total work of an auteur. I mean. There's this 375th Street Y. I mean, streets don't go up that high. I mean, it's they it's, do it's, actually. Do they, do, they go that, do they go up that high in New York? Yeah, I thought. Yeah, yeah it's like it's like North Bronx at that point. Mm-hmm. But oh, okay, I was actually you know. before I before I was going to make that comment. I actually looked it up to see if I was right, and it said that uh, streets in Manhattan only go up to the 200s. But I guess I didn't. Yeah, but I, they continue into the Bronx. Okay. Yeah. I believe. I believe they do. I thought they, yeah, yeah, I thought they did. Yeah, if it was, and if it's like part of the Bronx, they might not consider that Manhattan. So whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you guys would know since you live there. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I I think that the 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 Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, I I 
I, I like Kathleen, I had not watched this for a really long time. Uh, I watched it a lot when it first came out. I got it on DVD. I watched it probably five times um, around the time that, that I got it. I watched it once in the theaters and then probably about five times on DVD. And then I hadn't watched it probably in 10 years. Mm. Um, Same. And uh, I really enjoyed my return to it. I really thought that it was uh, more... It was better than I actually remembered it. And maybe that's because there's been so many years of me not liking Wes Anderson films. Yeah, uh, I think God how funny it was. Like I knew it was I always knew it was a comedy and I always knew I remember laughing at it, but I guess because I don't laugh quite as hard at some of his later films that I found myself really laughing out loud a lot and I was surprised. Like yeah. particularly when when he shoots him with the baby gun, I just can't handle it. It's like one of the funniest <laughs> moments in a film. It's like, You're on my team. <laughs> yeah, and, and a lot of the, there are no teams. A lot of the humor is really dry. It's just kind of like a a, a very kind of the a, a line that's delivered in kind of a very dry way, and yet it still like makes you laugh out loud. Yeah, the, well, there's there's a moment in this film that I think I mentioned in our previous Wes Anderson podcast that's still one of my favorite visual gags that I've ever seen in my life. When uh, Henry and Ethelene are walking in this archaeological dig site, and he's just walking just shortly behind her, and she's talking, and he falls into a pit out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) And then she just keeps walking and keeps talking because she doesn't realize he's fallen into a pit. Oh, it's, uh, I, every time I laughed out loud, just every time I've ever seen it, I just think it's one of the funniest visual gags. I've ever seen. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. No. No disagreements that there. That feels like that might be Owen Wilson too. Yeah. Right. The right. Laugh out loud comedy feels like maybe it's Owen Wilson and not Wes Anderson. I feel like every time Wes Anderson is funny, it's like in a like a huh kind of way. It's never in like a really laugh out loud kind of way. Like you're supposed to just chortle at it. And- <laughs> Uh-huh. There's a saying Which sounds that, very critical because I very much like his other films, but it's like I don't remember laughing that hard at any of the other ones. There's yeah, a saying yeah. that when a director dies, he becomes a cinematographer, which means, you know, like if he no longer has any desire to tell a story, he mostly just concerned with the visuals of a yeah. film. Sure. I think I think um, at his worst, at his present worst, he's not always bad. But when Wes Anderson is bad for me now he he's not a director he's an art director like he yeah. really is sure. concerned about the production design of every little detail and he's not thinking about what the story is yeah but, you know yeah. how it relates to the people and, i completely and, agree. and he knows that he's gotten that criticism because he, he's talked about yeah. it in the past but he insists that all, everything he does all the minutia that he focuses on to create one big whole it's all done at the service of his characters which kind of you know, starts an argument about what are characters. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. Incidentally, guys. Yeah. I was just going to say that I just looked it up and the highest street that I can find in the Bronx is 263rd street. There you go. So we are well beyond reality. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think his, yeah. Well, like I said earlier, look, don't touch. And I think I think his screenplays are always really good. So like I don't think the story is ever lacking. It's that like that it's that humanity. It's that need for these people to connect in, in some way. 
and and like feel like you care about them and each other and that's what I always think is missing because I think the stories are usually fairly okay to good yeah yeah for sure well there's one movie in particular that I think is good and I know Andrew thinks it's bad that that Wes Anderson made and I'm talking about the Darjeeling Limited Ugh. and um <laughs> That film, for me, I think it works. I think it succeeds, maybe partly because of Owen Wilson's intense involvement with the story. I mean, he, he didn't write it, but his presence as an actor, as a character, is very strong. And at the same time, you are meant to kind of laugh at the folly of these three brothers. You're not meant to, to love them as much as you love the people in the Royal Tenenbaums. You're meant to be amused at how they think that they've had a major life-changing revelation on this journey. But in actuality, it's obvious that they're just going to go back to their old ways when they return to the United States. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned that as the uh, the one with Owen Wilson's intense involvement. Because when we were talking earlier about the humanist moments, that that is the one film after the Royal Tenenbaums that has a really beautiful human moment when that kid drowns at the, at the weir, right. Uh-huh. In that, in that stream, like that's like, there's like this moment of like fantastic humanity in the middle of this desolate film. Desolate uh, man. Yeah. It's desolate. It's, that is an emotionally desolate film. Wow. <laughs> it truly it sounds like it's like post, post-apocalyptic. <laughs> the one I kind of how seen, I, so. Oh, uh, well, sorry, guys. prepare yourself. <laughs> it's like uh, Mad Max of the Soul. <laughs> you know, Andrew, Matt Zoller Seitz has some choice uh, words of praise to give the Darjeeling of Limited. I mean, Does yeah, he? Mar- he actually has a, a little track of commentary on the DVD where he talks about why he likes it. Might do you well to listen to that sometime. I'd be curious to hear that because. Uh, I do respect that man, and uh, but you know I had lots of differences of opinion with Roger Ebert too. So you know <laughs> sometimes it happens. What? <laughs> uh, great. So I I think that that we're all in pretty much agreement on the Royal Tenenbaums. I think that it is. Um, it's probably one of the best examples of Wes Anderson. If you've always heard about him or you kind of understand what the the deal is with Wes Anderson, but you've never seen his films. This is probably a great place to start. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you have seen his films, then I think that you'll probably feel similarly about this particular movie. Um, I just think it's really great. Also, Gene Hackman, so good in this, so good in one of his last uh, film performances. That's right. Um, so good. He's amazing. Yeah. Also, Phil, that just was incredible. a solid Gene Hackman earlier. I meant to tell. You. <laughs> Good job. Uh, so thank you, Kathleen, for recommending this. Uh, I, I, I'm i glad that I was sort of forced to watch it again because I don't know how long it would have been if I if you hadn't suggested it. Um, but yeah, really great film. Really glad, glad to watch it again uh, and really great to talk to you about it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Please join us for our next episode when we will be talking about the new Todd Haynes film that's getting a lot of Oscar buzz. Yeah. Carol, starring Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett. Uh, Looks like it's going to be good. You gave. Looks like, or at least interesting. Yeah. You gave Rooney Mara top billing. Yeah, well, 
they're i mean you know i went from young to old <laughs> that's Everywhere, everything I've looked at, Bill's Rooney Mara, uh, or at least in descriptions that I've read about it, it Bill's Rooney Mara first. Interesting. I I think it's I think it's more her story than it is Kate Blanchett's. Well, that remains to be seen. It's called Carol. Kate Blanchett is Carol. That's true. But it could go either way. I've just I've just been reading that's that true. Rooney Mara has been getting the the nom the nom buzz for supporting actress, and Kate Blanchett gets the the actress buzz. Oh, great. Either way. But, but it'll see. be interesting because it's a Todd Haynes film, and typically I hate his movies. <laughs> so <laughs> all right, should be a lot of fun. Again, thank you, Kathleen, for joining us, and everybody out there. Uh, we'll catch you next time.